You are listening to the Red Roots Podcast. Good morning, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Back on a special Monday. Special, it's not really a special edition of the Red Roots Podcast. It is an edition of the Red Roots Podcast. Um, Apologies ahead of time if my phone is buzzing. That's what, my phone's been buzzing the past four or five days. Uh, Something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it buzzed before, but not like (laughs) this. It's it's a lot going on in our world today. We have coronavirus things. We're in strict lockdown again. They're here. They're going house by house. Um, checking everyone, supposedly, which is not a good idea. Anyways, it's the government trying to save face because they haven't done anything. Um, so, yeah, so dealing with that or whatever, trying to see how that'll work out. Um, also, obviously, there's a lot going on in the rest of the world and the United States, to be specific, with um, the murder of George, George Lloyd. It, it was murder. No, I say George Floyd. Oh, sorry. I, yeah, my brain's all over the place. George Floyd. So, yeah. Anyways, um, I was thinking of Ahmaud Arbery, and then, anyways. A lot, of pe- a lot of people have gotten senselessly killed over the past few weeks. Um, and uh, I think we just wanted to have a conversation today about uh, race in the church, really. Because it, it's such a deep, um, we were talking about it before, and it's just such a deep and, such a deep and wide topic that we have to narrow it down somewhere. And obviously this is, and this is, I think this is the perspective that we should be talking about it from, from a gospel perspective. Just for a little background, if you're not watching and if you're listening, instead of watching, watching, if you're watching, which I guess is what you do when you watch, right? You're listening and you're watching. See, I'm not wrong. Um, pride, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> it's a big problem. Uh, no, but um, so if you're listening, then we, we are actually uh, multicultural here. Um, Simon is a, 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 a a white guy from England. I am a black guy from the United States, and Melinda is Puerto Rican. Um, so all of our perspectives uh, and experiences will be very different from one another's, and I think that there's beauty in that. But I also think we can also learn a lot from one another in, in, in these things. And um, and you know, again, our perspective can be different, but I think, and some of these, my phone going already. Uh, and I think in. When it comes from the perspective of, of Jesus, we we don't have different perspectives. No. We share the same perspective, and so, so I mean, I guess we'll just I'll just I'll try to moderate more than I talk. I've talked a lot. I've done I did I did a podcast the other day with a friend. I'm doing another podcast with another friend at some point, supposedly, and yeah. And so I'm trying to let you guys talk. Of course, I'm definitely I've got stuff to say. So don't 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 think I'm just gonna sit here quietly. But I want to moderate. I, just, I really want to hear what you guys think as well in your perspectives and stuff like that. So I guess we'll just start with um, how do you, how, well, and again, this is going to be very different, right? Different country even where mm-hmm. you're from than where you're seeing it, but it's a very real issue worldwide. Um, you're connected to it directly, obviously. Your, your husband is black. Um, your in-laws are black. Your, your daughter is half black. Um, you have other black family members. Your niece is black, you know. Um, so how... How, how does this, like initially, what is your initial feeling when you see, hear about th- this happening or you see the video? I, I think everybody, you saw the video, right? I know yes. Simon saw yeah, it. Yeah, I saw it. Um, yeah, so what is it? What is, how do you feel? How does it make you feel? Um, uh, it makes me feel um, 
sad for the condition of the world of the just heartbroken and i guess that would be my very first reaction um and then a very close second reaction is anger um because as soon as the uh murder took place shortly immediately afterwards you just see a bunch of um a bunch of uh, pushback from people who are calling for justice. And so I think that the act in itself of a police officer murdering uh, an, an innocent, anybody could have been guilty and he, just murdering someone is, and, and had plenty of time to stop at any moment, um, just, it, it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of that, to hear people from the church, you know, um, Christians, uh, say like we've talked about plenty of times. Well, we don't know the facts. Well, um, uh, you know, the, even when coming out with the autopsy, well, man, there might be some drug influence that caused it. Or when it's very clear that we can't just, I just feel like as, as a church, we need to be able to look at something and clearly state what it is. It is sin. It is murder. What? Did well, I get off topic already? Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I mean, I, no, it's, it's on topic and it's good, but I was just, you know, I want to hear your initial feelings. Oh, sorry. <laughs> My initial feelings. Okay, I'll summarize that. <laughs> initial, uh, first reaction, sadness, heartbroken, and second, anger. Yeah, and thoughts. You, you expressed your thoughts. All yeah, right? yeah. So what about you when you say Yeah, it? the same, same feelings of anger, but I think, so especially like before coming here, spending mm-hmm. time with you and meeting you, mm-hmm. obviously being in the UK, you only ever hear about it when something like this happens. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. your natural or your first instinct is really again. Yeah. Cause like we, that's how we hear about it. Social media. Yeah. Like it'll yeah. pop Absolutely. up on Facebook. It'll pop up on Twitter or it'll come up on Instagram. So that's how we hear about it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really again? And you, your mind kind of tries to go back. Well, when did the last one happen as well? And you're like, Oh, wait, that was only a month ago or that was a year ago or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so it is that case of really like that's, this has happened again. Um, but then I think, especially when you're in the UK or when you only see it via social media, it's then very easy just to quick click off. Yeah. Because it is only, mm-hmm. like, it only impacts me via, well, beforehand, it only impacted me via social media. Yeah. Like, that's when you click on. You read the story, you read what the media wants you to hear, you read mm-hmm. what people are putting out. But then as soon as I turn my phone off, like, that's it. It's over. Yeah. yeah. And, and then it'll be a month later, something will happen again, and I'll get the same thing. Really? Again? And then you're looking through social media again. You turn it yeah. Keep it off. Yeah. So it's so you, I, what you what you're saying is um, I'm asking mm-hmm. more than I'm. T- it's like so for your in your experience it's, it's it's frustrating but it's also easy to walk away because it yeah. does, I mean it, and I'm, this is not the truth is it 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 does affect you long term but the truth is in, in long, short term it doesn't really affect it, it's it's a shame what they're going through over there whatever more or less and then it's like it's I mean like you said you can click it off and I really appreciate you saying that because I think. That's the reality for a lot of people. Mm. And, and, that's, and let me not, let's not make any mistake. That's the natural tendency. That's what we all do, right? You see somebody died of AIDS or cancer, and it's like, ooh, it's terrible. And you just kind of move on. Like, you know, it doesn't. And obviously, but this is, this is like, it's weird because AIDS and cancer or whatever can affect anybody. And it's almost like, and it's a little different because there's nothing we can do about that. But this is a cancer too. And this is something that maybe doesn't affect us today. On an individual, maybe it doesn't affect you or you. It does affect me today. It has, but at some point, you know, what I mean? it, it it can it can touch everybody. And mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't know. Like we were gonna, um, 
I'm like I'm exhausted. Like you know, just not physically necessarily, mentally exhausted. It's just been. The, I mean, I've literally spent the last four days on the phone, on the on what what is it called on the tap online, like just communicating with people. And it's great. I'm super grateful and thankful. I'm not complaining by any means, but it's exhausting to have it like it's amplified. And so there's a lot of questions and a lot of and again, I, I'm loving it because we're actually getting to confront it. And so can yeah. I, can I ask you? Could you ask us the question? And I think that maybe some people who don't have black friends or black loved ones um, will, will truly understand the perspective of a, a black male, a black Christian male. So how, what were your initial reactions? Yeah, well, I mean, I was, gonna, <laughs> I was finishing what I was going to say about him. We uh -huh. weren't, I, didn't, I'll I tell thought you. you were transitioning to no, no, something. No, 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 no. I mean, then I'll say that, yeah. Um, but so, like, you know, I, 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 we're at the point where I was like, man, do you want to do the podcast this week? Um, whatever, and I was kind of back and forth about it because I felt like we needed to talk about this. We can't talk about anything else today. Like, that, that wasn't, that, that, that wasn't going to happen. And I was like, man, you know, I just kind of, like, felt like, man, I could just rest and kind of lay around tomorrow. Like, that would be nice. And I'm sure I'll get calls and stuff, but, you know, at least it's whatever. And then I was like, but, I, you know, I just was kind of whatever about it. But I also know that this is an issue that is more personal to me. And just not because no one, you guys don't care, but it's something that my personal experience. And so I talked to Simon and I said, hey, you make the call. You want to do the podcast tomorrow or no? And so he thought for a while, as Simon does. <laughs> <laughs> and he came back. He's like, you know, my, he's like, my, my, my first reaction is to just give it a miss. I said, okay, that's fine. We don't have to do it, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of, you know, I went, went uh, across the street and he went to his, uh, to his house and um, texted me just a few minutes after I got in and was like, hey, uh, I changed my mind. I think we, I think we should definitely do the podcast or something. Obviously I'm, you know, paraphrasing. I think you should definitely do the podcast tomorrow. Um, because if, if our, would you say if our, if, if our feelings towards injustice is passive now, then we'll never see justice. Yeah. And I was taken aback by the quote. I had to see if Martin Luther King Jr. said that or not. <laughs> he just came up with it. I said, oh, civil rights Simon. Here we go. <laughs> And uh, so, you know, and, and, and really I was convicted by that, too, because even me living far away from this is has put me into a place of somewhat privilege. And it's it, it's it's choice blindness. Right. Like I can I could cut it off and shut my stuff off and act like it doesn't happen. But the second that I touch down the U.S. soil or whatever, like, you know, I'm in this I'm in the middle of it. And so, you know, we don't do that to our brothers and sisters either. Like even if I wasn't black, I should still feel the same about, you know what I mean? And so anyways. So here we are, and we're we're talking about it or whatever, and so that's why that's what we brought here. So, so you, you you, I said all that to say, you've obviously made the choice that you're not going to turn it off. Yeah. Like, cause this is your choice that we're here, you mm -hmm. know. And like, I was completely fine if you were like, nah, you know, let's. I, when you said that, I was fine. I wasn't like, oh, I really wanted to do it. I was like, okay. Didn't just I just okay. We're not doing it, and just kept moving about my day. Went home, told Melinda, hey, we're not doing podcast this week. Blah blah blah. And then I came back five minutes later. I was like, hey, we're doing a podcast this week, <laughs> blah, blah, But um, getting back to what you were saying and getting back to the original question is, how does it make me feel? Um, oh, that's you. Look at you. Popular. Um, it, it, you know, angry. I mean, obviously angry, disappointed, frustrated, sad, um, disheartened. Is that a word? Like, is that a, like just, you know, and hopeless. Well, we always have hope and crazy. We know that. We know that. But it's hard, man. Like when you don't, when something so simple as racism, this is a simple issue. This is not 
you don't have to be any type of professor or scientist or whatever to see that this is wrong. Like you don't need to be, you don't have to, and you don't have to have a seminary, you know, your doctorate of, uh, I can't remember what it's even called. My brain is all over the place, but you don't have to go to, you know, seminary and get your master's of divinity and all this other stuff to realize that this is a sin, you know? Um, but here we are stuck, you know what I mean? And so it's frustrating and it does make you feel hopeless. Like even the Christians as a whole won't come out and say that this is wrong. We're not, this is bigger than just George Floyd. And I'm not saying just George Floyd, like he's not, but this this is bigger than, this is, he is the culmination of 400 years of, of, of all of it, of ignoring it, of, of anger, of frustration. Like he's, the reason that he happened is because it's never been addressed in the first place. And, um, and I don't get that. And that's why, you know, when people say Black Lives Matter, like, people try to, you know, hijack the conversation and make it about uh, a group. But it's, it's, it's a statement. And we don't argue about the Black Lives Matter group or whatever. Fine. Argue with it. But the question is, do Black Lives Matter? Yeah, but all lives, we know that. We know that we know that. We, but all lives don't matter until black, all, until black lives matter. And that's the whole point, right? Is we're trying to make it to a place where all lives matter, but not muting out people when they say black lives matter. Because we want to feel like we matter. And that's really what we want to matter to everybody. We matter to us, but we want to matter to everybody. And I think, you know, when you see this stuff, you feel like you don't matter. And when you see the comments and the reaction of your brothers and sisters in Christ, supposedly, on, you know, social media things, you feel like you don't matter. You feel like, I know I'm not less than, and I'm not going to take that. So what happens is you, you either become, you accept it that you're less than, and you steep to inferiority, and you develop that complex, or you become this militant, aggressive person that is showing the whole world that I matter too. And it's like, <laughs> you can't win, right? Because if you, inferior, if you develop that inferior, inferiority complex, I can't say the word, just like all words, um, then you, you just lose. You lose. You're, you have a loser's mentality. You're going to lose all the time, whatever. But if you also you go the other way and you're proving to people you're angry all the time, you're harboring bitterness and anger, and you're never going to people are never going to really accept you. They're going to avoid you because you're aggressive. So what do you do? You, there's no choice. And so I don't have any good choices in life. And that's what we mean when we talk about privilege too. Is no one like, at least in the United States, other races don't have to, or that's not true. Um, white people as, as a whole don't have to choose these things. It doesn't mean all white people are rich and all white people, no, it's not. You don't have to live between a rock and a hard place all the time of like there's no legit way, there's no right way for you to respond and act to the, to the, to the current. That's not something that, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad that my white brothers and sisters don't have to face that because it's terrible. Yeah. Don't have to live like that in that constant tension of like you, of, of who you really are, who you have to be, Regardless, you have, you have to be one or the other, you know what I mean? And you have to be either overkill, which that, that's probably not who you are naturally, or you have to be underkill, which is probably not who you are naturally. And so you just, you develop, it's just and it creates a bunch of different issues. You develop a false identity and like you don't, you kind of get lost and you don't, you know, struggle with a lot of different stuff. And that, it's sad to me. It's just sad to me that that's, it's 2020. Yeah. We we sent a private owned rocket <laughs> to a space station, an international space station, a couple of days ago. We can do all that, but we can acknowledge that racism is an issue and confront it. 
Well, I think I think the first step to recognizing for a lot of us what that racism is an issue is as a church to recognize that racism is a sin because we immediately jump to it being divisive if you bring up racism in the church. Why are you causing division? Christ wouldn't cause division. Throughout the Old Testament, Christ was dividing Israel from the enemy, from evil, and he did things to protect them, and he provided the for uh, Yeah. Okay. Did I say new? Sorry. Yeah, I think so. Um, sure. um, Christ, Jesus flipped over tables. He caused, he, he caused division. He, he divided truth from sin. He was, he's a righteous God, and so he is separating what is right from what is wrong and that's what i think as a church we need to realize is that racism is a sin we're not preaching against racism we're preaching against sin because it's yeah. a sin it is a sin issue that's the that's what you hear a lot of people say oh stop talking about racism let's just talk about sin in general it is a sin and it needs to be addressed every other sin that i know of has been addressed in the church yeah. um and racism is just something that for some reason we're not considering exists or even returning a blind eye to it I'm not sure. Yeah, first John talks about how God is a God. God is light and there's no darkness in him. And so like when you look at righteousness and unrighteousness, there can't be unity in righteousness and unrighteousness. So to say that someone's being divisive for speaking up for righteousness is to say that we are unrighteous in the church. You don't realize you're saying that, but you're saying that. So if someone brings up a sin, regardless of what the sin is, and you accuse that person of being divisive and causing division in the church, then what you are right. And if the, what the person is saying is an absolute biblical sin, not you have earrings, not you have a tattoo. No, no. We're talking about actual biblical sins. If someone brings that up on any in church, they can bring it up the wrong way, but it's still, if it's a sin, if they bring that up and you cause them, accuse them just for mentioning it, of being divisive, then you are drawing a line saying that one is righteous and one is unrighteous. And you have to be very careful because if you're calling them unrighteous, then what does the Bible say? It says they, they, they call good bad and bad good or whatever, evil good and whatever. And so you're calling good evil and evil good. So you're, you're unright in your unwillingness to confront issues that are affecting the church at large and the world at large and really limiting the church's ability to be able to reach other people because we don't want to face these, you know, um, well, you're limiting that because you're, you're refusing to recognize your own, your own sin that you're sitting in. And so mm -hmm. it's not, it, it, maybe it is divisive, Yeah. But, but it's divisive because I remember one time, we talked, I talked about this on the podcast the other day. It's like, God wants to transform us. And I remember one time, if I was watching, I was a kid, man. Uh, we were watching Transformers. And my, gran my grandmother saw how the Transformer trained. And, and, and she, said, uh, she said, that looked like that hurt. When the Transformer looked like that would hurt. And she just kind of laughed and walked out. And the Transformer, and it's true. Transformation does hurt. It's very painful. And we've become a, um, a comfort-seeking religion. We want to seek our own comfort. We don't want to deal with our own sins, and we don't want any type of pain. We don't want any type of suffering or anything. But if, if you completely negate all suffering, you negate growth. I mean, James 1, 2 through 4, and Romans 5, 3 through 5, and first, they talk about that. So we don't want to grow. We want to be comfortable. We want everybody else to conform to our ways, which is, again, we're putting, this is idolatry now. 
because now we're putting our little our ways or whatever above what what the Bible tells us to do and what Jesus has taught us to do, what Paul's written to the churches and, you know, the 13 letters, whatever. Like we're putting our way and my preference above all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll snatch a little verse out here and there and we'll praise the Lord and whatever. But that's not really that's not we're supposed to be transformed and, 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 and to reflect his image. And we can't do that if we have these sins and these issues that we're really unwilling to confront and call out. And when someone does, instead of repenting of that sin and instead of, uh, of yeah, repenting and changing, confessing and repenting that sin, we hide it and accuse that person of being divisive. That's a yeah. very, very dangerous uh, a path or precedent for the church. And that, but that's, that's what the church is now. It's not what it's becoming. That's what it is. And so we need a reformation, you know. Yeah, masters of deflecting. It's not even... It's not even necessarily only that you're being divisive but well what about this crime and what about you people do this and what about you so then you're just also shifting the blame so it's just a dangerous slippery slope to not be able to look inward and say christ jesus um illuminate the darkness in me and and pick it out pull it out of me um so that should be our response as a church whether or not we think we struggle with racism or not, I guarantee you that God will show you something in your heart yeah. that needs to be revealed and needs to be... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Because it, it's a process, right? And we have race race issues. And honestly, we will for quite some time. And it may be... So some people struggle with homosexuality. Some people struggle with lying. Some people... You, you can't... You don't choose your struggle, mm. but you choose how you respond to your struggle. So being tempted by something is not the sin, but falling into temptation is the sin. And so if, if homosexuality is a sin, if pride is a sin, if, if you know, uh, stealing is a sin and, and you struggle with these things, these temptations, you can struggle with the temptation of sin, but never uh, t- temptation to steal or to lie, but, act, but not do it. You're fighting the fight. And so if, if those things are temptations that we have, then racism is also going to be a temptation that we have. And it's a supremacy issue and all. there's a lot of different things in it. So I don't know that it's going to be magically disappear. But the, pro- the problem in the church isn't that we are, that we don't, that, that we have problems. We're going to have problems. The problem is we're unwilling to confront the problems yeah. that we do have. And I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, they're not expecting the church people to be perfect. But they're expecting church people to at least be combating sin and going to, you know, at least yeah. fighting and struggling against the issues that we have inside these four walls or whatever. And so if they don't fight their sin and they have all, and that's what they call us hypocrites. It's not because we mess up. And some people do because they're just looking for an excuse to not go to church. But not because we mess up, because we're unwilling to confront the issues that we do have. But we, we all, we want to put, oh, take those earrings out your ears, boy. Oh, you can't have braids in here. You can't have the, you know, whatever. We want to call all these little superficial things in. Jesus confronted this. He talked about, you're, you're weighing, what is it, the mint and the cumin. But it's, you need to focus on the weightier things. And it's this legit what he's talking about is we're talking about, oh, you need to dress like this or be like this or whatever. And here we are with the racism issues. Jesus confronts this several times. He's talking about the, 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 the speck and the, the plank and like all these things, like, Heavier things than light things. And we it's so comfortable to focus on light things because they're easy. It's easy for me to put a tie on every week. But the tie doesn't cover your sin. It doesn't change anything about what your heart is. And and and, and that's what Jesus is after. He's after a heart transformation, a heart change. Yeah. So what do you feel like? I mean, and we're in a different place. But what do you feel like the church's position historically, I guess, in church's role in, in race issues and stuff has been historically. And I, your answer is going to be different because 
European history and whatever, but there's, you know, definitely, I mean, we, we see it or whatever. The his, his, historically, what is the church's role or position on, on race or how have they contributed to the race issue? We can start there maybe. How have they contributed to supremacy in general? Not even just between whites and blacks, but just supremacy issues or whatever. I think, like from my point of view, something you mentioned yesterday, uh, you saying that there's a lady who was, however, years old and she'd never heard a sermon on race or anything like that. You know, I, 65. Yeah, I mean, I'm 24. I've never, I've been in church since, mm. since born, always gone to church. I've never heard a sermon on race. Mm. I've never heard anyone discuss it. I've never heard anyone stand from the front um, and say, okay, this is, you know, we need to discuss this. This is something we need to talk about. Um, you know, and, and you try and think, well, well why is that? Well, why, mm-hmm. why are we not taking a stance on this? Um, and you could be like, well, you know, in our church, we don't have any black people. Well, then you definitely need to be talking about it, you know, because you're definitely going to have someone in your congregation who's going to be struggling with it, um, who, you know, um, I was saying to you, I, I come from a majority white mm-hmm. area. West Sussex in the UK is a majority white area. Um, and so there will be people within West Sussex who have a problem with racism, maybe unaware that they have that problem with racism because it's not something that they confront, like you were saying, every single day. Um, but yeah, so... For the church just to be completely silent on it, I think is even more dangerous mm. because now you have almost like ticking time bombs within people. People's heart are feeling or they see them, they see movies or they read books or media or something. And that's the only input that they're getting. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you know, they might meet a black person in the street and all of a sudden all they know is, oh, what, what's the media taught me or what's this taught me? Or, what's that taught me? Um, and so whatever their heart is feeling at that time. Um, and so, yeah, for the church to not be addressing it, for the church to not be speaking out on it, um, it's just it's just criminal for the church not to have a stance. Criminal, on it. it is, because we talk about everything else. Mm. Yeah, talk- I mean, yeah, I mean, I've heard sermon on like on homosexuality. I'm pretty certain <laughs> in my church, no one struggled with homosexuality. Yeah, you know, there might be, there might be. I don't know, obviously. Yeah, but I can guarantee you there will be people in churches in West Sussex in that area who are struggling with racism and yet we never talk about it. I think it's because uh, as, as believers, we've become indignant about certain sin, you mm-hmm. know, abortion. No, it's disgusting. It's murder, mm-hmm. homosexuality, yeah. disgusting, you know? Um, and so we, we have allowed ourselves to be, I guess would say like, we have like this righteous anger against certain sin. Um, but other sins don't affect us so much, not because it's not taking place in our church, but because we personally, through our own lens, don't see it as something that God would be so angry about. I mean, obviously that is our fault because God is absolutely uh, a God of justice and, and um, righteousness. So I, I don't know. It, it's it's a, a mistake for us to, to do that with sin. I don't know why we, we do it like but that. Do we really... I mean, it it is so. Don't uh, don't misunderstand me. But do we really hate abortion and think it's the worst sin, or do we just take that stance to it because it's the one thing that we don't do? You know what I mean? That's like good. we're not guilty of it. So let's say, yeah, ah, abortion kills children. Absolutely does. Abortion is murder. Absolutely is. But what else are we doing besides that? Like, because I I talked about some of the other thing, but the like you said. There are barely any homosexuals in the church. And I know that I'm not saying never speak. That's not what I'm saying. But how can. So when we talk about racism, it's not a skin problem. It's a sin problem. 
Okay, well, let's, okay, let's take that approach to all sin then. But abortion is murder. Okay, oh, no, no, no. It's not an abortion problem. It's not a murder problem. It's, it's a sin problem. See how, that, see how complex that got that quick? Like, and so it, 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 it's a cop-out. It's a cop-out answer. Yeah, all these sins are sin problems. That's why they're called sins. But we call out different sins specifically so that no one can curb and act like they didn't know that this was a sin or whatever. We, yeah. t- we talk about pride. We talk about stealing. We talk about cheating. We talk about lying. We talk about uh, um, anger and bitterness, or holding on to anger you know, or bitterness or whatever. We talk about abortion. We talk about gay marriage. We, but we all that we do not talk about is racism. Mm. And so, like, we have, it's almost like we've democratically decided as a church worldwide mm-hmm. that uh, we won't talk, we're not going to talk about that. That's divisive. But let a gay person come into church. Change the whole sermon. Oh, God, the gay is an abomination, and God wants you to repent. And blow. like, wait, 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 wait. See, but if I get up and say that about racism, it's you know what? It's like, and I'm thinking of this analogy in a moment, so it may not even make sense. We'll see. But it's like, you know, everybody's ready to throw stone the lady, and Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And so the, I feel like that's what you're saying when you come in to a church and you say, oh, racism and abomination we need to repent everybody that was ready to stone the homosexual or stone the the lady that aborted her child or whatever they should start dropping their stones and walking away slowly Mm -hmm. because they realize they're guilty of this did that analogy make sense it did okay good you get it's like pressure when you come on analogy in a moment and then it has it better make sense it better make sense at least you don't forget mid-sentence what you were going to say yeah so (laughs) that's true so what um what is the church's, like, how do I want to say this? What is our approach? Like, what is the church, what, what should the church have been doing? Not even, we'll talk about what should the church be doing in a second. But what, what should the church's approach have been all this time? You're, you're, 20, you're 24. Hmm. So going back, if you could change something, it's not complaining or attacking, but let's just, we're, we need to learn from our, our mistakes in the past so we can go better in the future. Hmm. But what do, what do you feel like the church's approach should have been um, for your whole life growing up or whatever. And how would that have changed the way that you view race now? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. In you as well, obviously. I mean, obviously it should have been dressed. It should have been brought up. It should have been raised. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't, it should, it should never have got to a point where talking about racism is now a taboo subject. <laughs> it's so weird. Like, right? How is, how is that an awkward, <laughs> cringy conversation for, yeah. for church people to have, whether it's youth workers, whether it's pastors, whoever it is, you know, it, it should be addressed. Um, it shouldn't be something for people to try and figure out on their own to research or, or whatever. Like what I just, yeah, I don't understand. I don't understand it. Like I, I sit here now and I'm thinking, okay, how have I gone 24 years mm. without anyone talking to me about racism or race in general? Like um, I've come here and I've met you. Um, <laughs> I don't talk about race, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I realized like I don't know anything. Yeah. I was like when I came here I was like I don't know anything like I don't know what it's and it's more like an American standpoint because obviously yeah, yeah. that's where we talk yeah. a lot about. Um and you were talking about like yeah, just um American racism and what it's like to be a black American growing up. We had chats about what it's like to be a minority because mm-hmm. I, I was coming here and I yeah, was yeah. I was feeling like a minority for the mm-hmm. first time in my life. I was feeling like a minority. 
I, I don't know what it's like to walk around and be stared at or to be looked at or to be talked about behind the back. I didn't know that. So, you know, I came here and I was like, wow, oh, man, I've got all these feelings. Yeah. Of, I suddenly feel really small. I feel really out of place. So, mm. so I was like, can I talk to you about yeah, this? Yeah. And so we spoke about it. Um, and that's when you started opening up on like, your, your past and your, the American race thing. And I was like, man, I need to know more about this. Yeah. I need to know more about this. Um, so I took it upon myself to educate myself. Mm. So I mean, I did it using Netflix <laughs> and whatnot, <laughs> like watching like the Madam C.J. Walker thing, yeah. watching Who Killed Malcolm X, yeah. just being aware of all these different things and taking an interest in that in that history. Okay, yes, it's American history and I'm English history, but it's st- still race. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a people. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it's still it's still the subject of racism, um, and it's educate yourself learn about it know about it um so that you're not ignorant to it so you can't just switch it off because that's i think that's where it becomes so easy to switch it off Mm. is because you're ignorant to it because you don't know anything about Mm. it you know my phone buzzes a black man killed in america oh man really again well i'm not american and i'm not black so (laughs) there we go turn it off (laughs) yeah and then then i move on but it's like hang on that's an injustice yeah and that's what i was saying to you yesterday you know it's Mm. time we need to start standing up and speaking out against injustices globally, globally mm-hmm. as a church. Mm-hmm. As a white Englishman, I need to be speaking out against racism in America mm-hmm. because it's an injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. No, but you that, did. That's where you it led did. me. No, you, no, go, go, um, go. We, so, yeah. we, we love it when you talk. Everybody loves it when you talk a lot. Like every, I always get comments and replies and stuff. So, no, I absolutely answered the question. What about you? What the church, what I wish the church would have done yeah, historically. Or, yeah, yeah, I mean, not even wish, but like, what? okay, what do, we, what do we do wrong, I guess, as a church up until now? I think as a church up until now, we haven't addressed in community urgent needs. Like, I mean, I go back to the wilderness when the Israelites were, were, were walking through there. God's concern and his provision for his people was safety and food. Those were the urgent needs. He didn't look for a way to provide shoes for them. He didn't look for a way to provide pillows so they can sleep comfortably. He looked for the urgent needs and addressed them. Um, and I think as a church, so many times as, as leaders in churches and pastors, we go up there and we are supposed to be feeding our people, providing for them what their soul needs. Of course, it's always going to be mm-hmm. the gospel. It's always going to be Jesus. But in our community, if we're living in fear, we should be addressing fear from the pulpit. In our community, if we're experiencing racism or being the oppressors, we need to discuss that, address that sin, and and talk about how we need to correct this. And I think historically as a church, um, we talk about everything else. I don't know. I don't know. It's like the pastor just like opens the Bible, points out a scripture and says, oh, let's talk about faith today. You know, oh, let's talk about I don't know all the other <laughs> things that we've talked about in church that hasn't gone and worked down in the roots of our sinful nature and, and, and caused us to react in repentance, you know? And yeah. so I think just not ignoring your community needs and using your platform as a pastor to point people to Christ in the midst of those hurts. So what you're saying is when you're in your analogy with the children of Israel, is you're saying that, instead of focusing on providing for the deep needs that people, food and, and shelter, things that people need to be able to provide shoes and stuff like that, we're skipping over those needs and we're focusing on shoes and stuff like that. Right, what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, so we're, we're focusing yeah, yeah. On, on secondary things. Right. 
when of I'm not, and thing. again, I'm not saying right, those right. are not needs. People yeah. probably most likely did need shoes. They did need medical attention. They yeah, yeah. did need all of that. But at the moment, they needed security, safety, freedom, and food. But yeah. we we can make shoes, and 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 yeah, you're right. We can make uh like all you know. W- this table was made out of wood. We didn't have to pray that this table would be made, but God made trees. So God made trees and we take the trees. So God gives the provision. And so if God doesn't provide trees, he just provides tables, then we don't, we don't advance any, you know, any way. And that's what you're saying more or less, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, um, I think being, growing up black in the church, I mean, I grew up there. Yeah, I was born, so you don't notice a lot of things until you get older. And then you look back. I was talking to a friend the other day. And he was like, man, there's two different types of racism. There's obviously overt and covert. And um, overt is when people go back to your country, you know, all this other stuff. Go to Africa. I've never been to Africa. I can't go back to a place I've never been. Uh-uh, gotcha. <laughs> and um, so stuff like that. But the covert things is, is he, was, he was saying is that um, is when you say so, you're having a conversation with somebody and you walk away and five minutes later, you're like, wait, did they just, is that what that, was he saying what I was thinking he was saying? What did he mean by that? Or what does she mean by, you know, those type of things? And those are the types of encounters that you have in churches of black guys. And, like, I think people want you, and this is something that we need to confront as a church, is, is in a lot of churches, uh, specifically um, non-denominational churches that consider themselves uh, diverse churches, but really, di- I don't consider a diverse church if your diversity is under 10%. But anyways, it's neither here or there. Maybe it is here. Um but consider themselves, because we have some black faces in the crowd, we consider ourselves diverse. Not okay, because what's happening is those black voices are being suppressed. And when I don't mean people are sitting in the behind the scenes planning, saying, hey, don't let, don't let Brother Ramon speak out, blah, 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 because he's black. That's not what I'm saying. Is what I'm saying is when up until now, at least, um, I go to church, I don't feel, I don't really fit completely, you know, it, Everybody's different. Their experience is completely different than me. But, hey, we're brothers in Christ. We're here for each other. And that's what you're, you're preached and you're taught all the time. Here for each other. We're a team. We're a family. We're a team. We're a family. Yeah. And you buy in. So you go. You're worshiping and whatever. And, and they want you to, you know, these leaders, as they should, begin to push you to plug more into community. And so you begin to plug more into community. And it's great. Uh, so we go to small group, for, for instance. You say, let's go to small group. You need to plug into a small group. We really want you to plug into small group. Small groups are our values. Okay, great. Go to small group. Go to small group. Everybody's white but me. Okay, no issue. Um, so you go to the small group, and you hear, you know, everybody de- dealing with different stuff. And you know, my husband took the cattle, uh, took the Mercedes Benz in a divorce, and all I have is this Ford, you know, whatever. And yeah, uh, okay, okay. Well, let's pray. You know, that I, I don't know what we're praying for, but let's pray that God deals with your heart. I don't know. Little Johnny didn't get into. Uh, private school that he wanted or, or whatever. Again, we should be there to pray for these issues, but I don't identify with these issues. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them, but it, I should pray for them, actually. Just because I don't identify them with them doesn't mean that I should be, and I like it's not a big deal to me, mm. that doesn't mean that it's not a big deal to them. So I need to drop whatever I think is a big deal or not a big deal and join with my brothers and sisters in Christ and stand and believe with them and support them and, and, and lift them up and you know encourage them or whatever. Great. That's what we're supposed to do. And it's a struggle. I'm not going to lie and say it isn't because you're like, uh, so what? Send Johnny to public school. He's bad anyway. Like, you know, he need, like he needs to get beat up a couple of times, you know, whatever. Like you, <laughs> and so it's easy to think that way. But then when it comes to like, okay, Ramon, what's been going on in your life and whatever? You say, man, you know, the, 
I, I'm just I'm just over racism because this is supposed to be the space where you can go and be fully yourself. This is supposed to be home. So think about how you act in your house versus how you act everywhere else. And so when you act at your house, you're at home. You don't kind of at home. You're at home. You're free. You can walk around your own house naked if you want. That's how free you are. And it's, it's, it's funny and it's weird, but that's how free you are. And that's how free not to walk around naked, but that's how free we should feel in churches and small groups to be able to share and talk about whatever I want. No filters, no whatever. But when Ramon begins to share about the black experience and racism in America, everybody just gets that weird look and they stare. They change the conversation or they throw some weird generic prayer out just to shut me up and continue. OK, maybe just one time. Uh, that was weird. But time after time it happens. And then you say, all you want to talk about is race. That's because I've been black for 35 years. And that's my experience every day living in a white world is, be, is dealing with racial issues. Sorry if that inconveniences you. And so now I'm offended. And so now I feel like they don't want me. We're back to that, right? Mm -hmm. They don't want me. They don't really care about me. They want my support. They want my attention. They want my, my, my hugs and all this other stuff. But they don't care about me as the person. That's what it feels like. And, and because you, every time you bring up an issue, everybody just gets nervous and looks around and doesn't know what to say to you. No one, not no one, majority of people will not stand with you as a brother in Christ and say, I have no idea, but I know you, I trust you, I believe you, I've known you for 20 years, and I know you're not a liar, I know you're not a manipulator, so you know what, I'm going to stand with you, racism is a sin, I've never experienced it, I don't have to experience it, and I don't, I don't have to experience it, but I know that you've experienced it, I trust you, I believe you, I'm here with you, I love you, what do I have to do? Now, do I have to write a Facebook status? Do I need to preach on this? Or do we need to do a class or a, 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 group, a small group series? And the pastor should be calling, hey, do we have race issues in our church? Because I'm blind to this. I'm white, so I, I don't see it. And there's some things you can see. You know, if some, somebody says the N-word, oh, that's obvious. We don't need to say that anymore. But is there, what overt or, I'm sorry, what covert race, racial issues do we have in our church? But pastors don't want to ask that question because they're afraid of the answer. They're not afraid of the answer. It's they know the answer. And they know the answer. And they, again, there's being blind and there's covering your eyes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I think people are covering their eyes to black people's issues in the church because it's uncomfortable. And now I got to address some of the biggest tithers in my church, possibly yeah. not directly, but as a, as a congregation, I did do a series on the importance of, of, ra of, of, of uh, racial reconciliation and our, our, race, our racist past and whatever, not so that Ramon can feel well, but so that Ramon can fully be a part of this body. Because when little Johnny, to, to most of us, when little Johnny doesn't get accepted in this private school and they're crying and carrying on, we just look like, get over it. And, but if we say that, we're the most insensitive person, we're going to get scolded and whatever. But if we bring up slavery, they tell us to get over it. You weren't a slave. I have to be a slave. Like, we're, we're behind. And you, you, hear, you hear people in your church groups talking about how um, black people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. And whatever. we don't got boots, man. You can't pull yourself up by something you don't have. Y'all just need to get together, whatever. It's like if life is a game of Monopoly in the United States specifically. I'm not talking about England, English listeners. Um, if it's a game of Monopoly, you played Monopoly before? Mm -hmm. You played Monopoly before? Yeah. And lost. I hate, um, it. <laughs> I hate it. It's like if we're playing Monopoly and Simon gets to go around the board 400 times before I get to start. And then so now all we're doing in the game now is waiting for me to go bankrupt. That's all we're doing. He already owns everything, even the nasty places. The boy, the Baltic Avenue. There's some like little purple ones. Those are like the, little, the, the, the poor areas that nobody really wants to buy. But you own all of it. You own the whole board, easily own the whole board. 
because you guys have been playing and going around for 400 years, and now I finally get to start, and I owe, I owe you here. I owe you there. You own this. You own that. And you're literally just waiting for me to go bankrupt, but at the same time, why don't you buy something? Get better. And not to mention whenever, historically, it's just not me being dramatic. Historically, whenever black communities have risen up and have created some, yep. some kind of burned them down yes exactly Sorry. and so and not only are you playing catch-up you're playing catch-up just to be knocked back down to and zero rebuild. and rebuild and then knock back down again it's and debilitating so it is this tiring like, it is just this past weekend we 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 didn't celebrate we um recognize it was the 100 year anniversary of the tulsa race rides tulsa oklahoma we actually happened to live there for seven years or something like that um there was a, a, a community, this is segregation days before black people, it was, they were integrated. So black people lived over there, white people lived, no, sorry. White people lived over here, black people lived over here. And so it's like a little small space for black people. You have your corner of the city and everything else belonged to white people. Black people can't eat in white restaurants, can't drink from white water fountains, can't use white bathrooms, can't. This is very commonplace. So black people developed their own communities. So it's called the Greenwood District. They called it black, they begin to call it Black Wall Street because it's a very successful area. In that community, the dollar changed a hundred times before it left the community. We've talked about this off air, mm-hmm. but um, so they they built up their own. There was hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of businesses in the area. I can't remember all the specific numbers. Came in. They, it used to be called the Tulsa Race Riot, and they made it like, oh, everybody did this. But people came in from outside. It was white people. It's call it what it is. Came out from outside. Racist white people. Um, came out from the outside, came in, burned all this stuff down, killed a bunch of black people, burned their houses down, and left them with nothing but ashes. And I, I worked on the north side. I worked and I volunteered in the center up there on the north side. And you see the brokenness that still exists. That's just, if, if it's Billy at the community center, it's Billy's grandma was alive during the Tulsa, the, the, during the Tulsa race riots. Hmm. So you think that Billy's just going to get, like, who raises Billy? His mom. Who raised Billy's mom? His grandmother. So you think that, and Billy's grandmother helps raise Billy as well because she's still alive. That's what grandparents do. So you really think that it's just like that in a snap of a finger, it's just going to disappear? No. And so now these people, you think they're just going to ho-hum and whistle while they work and rebuild their community? No, it's not easy because you already live in a world that was against you and you've already accomplished the impossible in this community of building something successful up. But then people came out jealous because they didn't want you to be successful. They wanted you to... They, what it really happens is they saw that the black people were doing better than them. That's, let's just call it what it is. And there's jealousy and hate and anger, and they burned it down. And now you don't have resources to rebuild any of this. Your insurance stuff is crap because you don't really have access to insurance like everybody else does and whatever. And so now people are saying, well, why don't you go pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Rebuild. And it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And so, so the church should be a safe haven for all people, yes. For white people to complain about issues and not not complain, that's not the right word. Um, to share issues openly without filter, and it is. It is. People, I've been to prayer meetings or whatever where people are talking about their dogs being murdered or killed or dying of natural causes. How old was your dog? 37. I know it's a long time, but like, and I'm like, oh, oh, so he lived 20 years past, 25 years past what he was supposed to live. I mean, to me, in my mind, I'm like, you should be happy. But if you're heartbroken, then me as your brother in Christ, I need to forget what I'm thinking, what I think is best, and identify with you and stand with you and believe and pray for you and console and comfort you. Yes. But then when we come and we say that we're getting killed, that we're not getting jobs, we don't have equal access to any, like, these are facts. These are not opinions. These are historical facts. 
The numbers don't lie. We're getting arrested at a way higher rate, even though we only make up a percentage of the, a small percentage of the population. We're called minorities for a reason. We get arrested at a way higher rate than our white brothers and sisters. What are you going to say? It's because we're, we're worse. We're worse people. It's just that uh, blacks, they don't, they just, they're just, they're just, no, that's not what it is. We get killed at a higher rate than what this is. These are facts. You can look it up. We get killed at a higher rate than white people do by police. But the rate of the rate of white people that get pulled over by the police is higher. Um, I'm sorry. The rate of white people that have a gun when they're caught by the police or a weapon is higher than black people that get caught with a weapon. Those numbers don't match. So the logic will be, oh, well, you guys always have weapons and that's why you're always getting killed by the cops. No, we don't have weapons. We do black, yes, some black people do, but more white people are, carrying, are caught carrying weapons than black people are, but somehow more black people are killed than white people are. What, I mean, what, what, do you, what do you need? What else do you want to be proved? But when we bring all this stuff up, we get filtered and shut down. And so then we turn into this place where we only attend church, just physically, but mentally we're not there and we're not spiritually connected to the body. And so now we become these little isolated, we become very isolated and live in our own little corner while we live in the, in the body of Christ. We live amongst our quote unquote brothers and sisters, but we're still isolated and lonely. You can go to a 10,000 member church and be the loneliest person in there. And that's not what the body of Christ is. It's not what it ever has been. And that's not what it ever will be. And we have to confront that and really realize that that's, this is not... This is not what Jesus' plan was. Forget, forget Martin Luther King's dream. Forget that. What was Jesus' dream for the church? Pentecost. We just celebrated Pentecost a couple of days ago. Whatever. Pentecost is about every tribe, every nation, every tongue. It's not about just having a good old time speaking in tongues and whatever. No, no, no. People heard the gospel in their language. The gospel went out that day. To all, so there's African people there. There's Asian people there. It's, it's, a, it's a, uh, like a trade center in the other world. So there's people from everywhere, all over the world, and they're all hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language. Because Jesus is passionate about a di- uh, reaching all of his people, diversity, ra- ra- racial reconciliation, and building his kingdom, which is much bigger than just the Israelites. That's what he's passionate about. So why are we not passionate about that? Why are we not passionate about that? What are we, what are we, what are we doing? You know? And so, you know, I, it used to be hard for me to talk about this stuff, but I'm just like, now. It, I used to be scared that I would lose support if people heard me talking about it, but keep your money. If this makes you upset, keep your money. I don't want it. I'd rather be broke and living under a bridge. I'd rather go sleep in my backyard and get kicked out of my house for not paying rent than have to sit here and be silent anymore because it's not just me that, that, that has suffered this stuff. There's other people that are suffering. And my kids, if I have to live in the backyard and walk my kids to school every day so they can get a better education, but if by me living in the backyard and sleeping in a tent for the rest of my life, if that makes a better world than them, then so be it. For, for them, then so be it. Keep your money. I don't, I don't want your support. If, the, if you're against... Racial reconciliation, you're against the gospel being shared and and not just the words of Jesus Christ, but the gospel lived out, being shared and acted out by the church and inviting people in to be fully themselves. And I can be fully me and you can be fully you. I can celebrate you being white English guy from Sussex and you can celebrate me being a black American guy from West Virginia. We can celebrate that together. We can share meals, share culture together. And I can celebrate you a thousand percent when you're going through something. I need to shut up and cut all my own experiences off and focus focus on what you're going through and vice versa. That's, this is what the body is about. And so if, if, if me saying this offends somebody, then so be it. I don't, it does, stop, please stop sending money. If, if you're against that, you're not a believer. Like, I, I like, want to also challenge our, 
I said I wasn't going to talk much. Our, Sorry. <laughs> no, what you, what you said has to be heard. Um, challenge our non-black Christian friends. Be, I mean, I would, I can't just say white because I've seen a lot of Hispanic people with their prejudices speak ignorant, say ignorant things about black people and the state that they're in, blaming the black person, right? But I just want to encourage all of my non-black Christian friends that they're, black people have a right to be angry. And it's not an excuse for you not to want to address racism because, oh, if they could just do it in a peaceful way, if they could just say it without being angry, how do you expect someone to speak about centuries of their people being murdered in a calm, peaceful way? Let them be angry. If you want to tell me that you're tired, Ramon, and, and you don't know what else to do and you feel hopeless and you want to do this at the top of your lungs, I need to sit there. I need mm-hmm. to cry with you. I need to be angry with you. Mm-hmm. And I need to pray with you. And we need to well. do something. And it's not fair for us to say, black people, tell me what to do. We don't ask a young child who was sex trafficked and raped and got pregnant and beat and drugged by this pimp. We don't ask that child, what can I do to help you? No, we see an injustice and we get to work on it. We make sure that that child sees justice mm-hmm. by putting people in prison, creating organizations that will be the defenders of these people mm-hmm. and make sure people get prison time. But for some reason, we're putting the burden on all of our black brothers and sisters to say, I'm so sorry. We've been ignorant for years. What do I do? They're exhausted. I can tell you this because my husband is black. I can no. tell you this because <laughs> <laughs> because oh, I've seen, he's exhausted, y'all. <laughs> um, and, and he's just one man, you know, and, and we're talking about people who who don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them, giving them peace. And he still feels this way. You know, imagine someone who's just completely helpless, completely hopeless and, and don't see um, and, and completely loveless at this point. They've got no nothing else to give or to contribute. Um, and we just keep ignoring them and saying, well, you just go on and calm down a little bit because I can't hear you over this anger. The nerve of us, it, it's heartbreaking that as Christians, we, we do that. We cause this separation. We cause this division as a church by saying, oh, I, I can't talk to you. Like we do with children with tantrums, right? We do that. Oh, no, no, that's not going to get my attention. Calm down, and then um, then we can talk. That's It's not the same thing. It's, but if a kid is being abduct, abducted, no one accuses that kid of throwing a tantrum because he's no. in danger. No. And so we need to differentiate the two. A tantrum is a person, and that, that's the way it's, you're, you're right, that's the way it's looked at. We're looked at as throwing tantrums, but they're literally killing, like, yeah. the people that are supposed to be protecting and serving. And if we commit a crime, take us to jail. We deserve to go to jail. If we commit a crime, yes, take us to jail. But don't kill us in the street. Don't do that. And don't let people off when they kill us in the street. Don't do that. That's not a tantrum, but that's the way it's looked at as a tantrum. It's a cry for help. It's desperation, you know, and, and I don't know if I said this already, but I, I'm not I'm not talking about rioting on this. I don't talk about rioting because I don't know any Christians who are rioting, mm-hmm. but I know a lot of believers who are struggling with racism. So I, I'm not I'm not dealing with the when the world acts like the world. I don't get upset. Mm-hmm. I don't get upset when I see people rioting. What I see is the absence of the church and how absent the church is in communities, how absent the church is in the, in the, in the place of discipleship and how negligent the church has been to these groups of people to where we've been here for since the, since the beginning of America. Christians have been here. That's the beginning, not the, the, the false beginning of America, not Native Americans. And we still have these large groups of people that still don't know what hope is. I feel responsible when I see that. 
So how do I expect a non-believer to act to a hopeless situation besides hopeless? But the belief, so I'm not going to sit here and go back and forth all day about rioting is bad mm-hmm. and destroying property is the same as, the, no, no, destroying property is not the same as killing black people. That's a problem right there. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um, but I'm not going to go, go, go ahead. Well, they're just saying, it goes back to what you were, you were speaking in your analogy of um, when God provided for the Israelites. Um, we look at this situation, we go, oh, but they're looting and they're rioting. And then we think that's the problem. And then we go, well, that's the problem. That's what we need to address. Well, why are they looting and rioting? We're mm-hmm. not saying it's right. No one here mm-hmm. on this table is saying, yeah, that's the right thing to do. But why are they doing that? Because they're angry. Why are they angry? Because there's an injustice and racism. So let's go through the motion, not through the motions. Let's go through the situation and say, okay, why is there looting and why is there rioting? Because there's an injustice and racism. So let's stop focusing on, on the symptom mm-hmm. and let's start dealing with the exactly. problem. Um, and I love the I love the quote that's been going around a lot on Twitter. It's saying, um, "Don't call for peace if you're not fighting for justice." Mm. And I absolutely love it because it's so right. It's it's so right. And it's, again, it goes back to what you're saying. We can't tell people to oh calm down and then I'll talk about talk to you about it. Like if you're not doing anything in the first place, like if the church isn't doing anything in the first place, then the church can't call for peace because you're not fighting for justice because mm. you don't want this. You just want things to go back and quiet down and go back to normal so you we can comfort. gather on Sundays right. and then everyone can come and they can give their money or whatever and we can all go home feeling happy. Mm-hmm. But that's not going to happen until injustices are dealt with. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I, like, I think if you have a, a, a child that misbehaves, if you're a teacher and you have a child that misbehaves, you, you correct the child. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Correct the child. But then if he continues misbehaving, you, you might want to do some investigation. Like, why, okay, why is he always acting like this? And then maybe you maybe you go to his home and you see that he's been abused for eleven years. So when you learn that information, what do you do? You just keep correcting the child every day? No, you confront the abuse because you see that even though he's acting up in in, in class, even though he's acting up and misbehaving in class, that needs to be confronted absolutely. But you know that confronting that is not going to solve anything. You know there's a deeper issue that's causing him to act out in class. So you confront the abuse. You call the police. You call whatever a child, what is it called? DH, child Protective Services. Yeah, Child Protective Services. CPS. See, child Protective. CPS. So it, I don't know if that's what they call it. But anyways, you call, you call Child Protective Services. You seek justice on behalf of that child because you see that the root of his problem, the root of his acting out and being angry or whatever is, is, an, is because of injustice. And it's the same thing. As the church, we should look at these riots and stuff. And yes, we can confront that. But at the same time, when we see that, we should say, okay, wait, wait, why are they doing all this? And, and we know why. Mm. So we don't have to do investigative work. We know why. But the problem is, is we know that we have been uh, willing participants in the why. Mm. But now we complain about the outcome. Mm. It's not true. It, come on. And it goes with abortion, the same thing. Abortion is an issue. We've marched against it for years and whatever. But when people don't abort their kids... Typically, they're born into a single-parent home to a teenage mother or underage or irresponsible mother or mother that supposedly can't do it or whatever. And so they're just thrown into this nasty world. And pretty much, you can raise a kid or they'll grow up. Those are the options. Mm. And these kids just grow up. And they grow up and they do stuff. They, do, they break the law. They do stuff. Wow, you deserve to be killed. Hang on. But wait, wait. But you advocated for this child when it was in the womb. But when it came out and there was no provision, there was no justice in this child's whole life growing up. He grew up being abused. He grew up being neglected. He didn't have hunger. Had to fight for everything he has. Has developed a survival, uh, uh, what's it called? A survival uh, instinct. Inst- is survival instinct is what he's living off of. 
So he's in survival mode constantly. And now when he commits crimes, robbing or stealing stuff, as he should not do, but that's a survival instinct. Now we want to throw him up and lock him, lock him up and whatever, and they're all bad and whatever. No, we, the pro, we, we just want to yell out stuff and then not do anything about it. You can't be a, a pro-life, but then not want to do anything for the person. Because a lot of people, and I'm not, this is, abortion is wrong. I'll say that right there. It's evil. It's, it's demonic and it's wrong. But in their heads, people that don't have hope and they don't understand the way that, uh, you know, the image of God and all this other stuff, which we should be sharing with them, not just in what we say in our teachings, but in the way that we act and we treat them. But it's a different, different thing. We should be, um, they don't understand that. So what they're thinking is on a logical level, I don't want to bring this child into this world. We, it's our job to show them a different world that's worth bringing their child yeah. into. There's some bad things, but here, like, hey, we have a couple at church. They're willing to adopt your baby because we want, we need, we believe in adoption. We don't just, we, we need to believe in adoption more than we oppose abortion. Mm-hmm. We need to believe in, in in reconciliation and reconstruction more than we believe just saying no to stuff and don't, 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 don't. Let's give some yeses. What are our yeses to? Yes to adoption. Yes to, to uh, fostering. Yes to orphanages. Uh, good orphanages. Not Really, it should be no to orphanages because if we're adopting and doing everything. We, yes to bringing people in. Yes to a, not just adopting a cute child, but adopting all their problems and all their issues and, and really reconciling them back to Jesus and raising them the way that they deserve as image bearers of Christ to be raised. But what do we do? No. Abortion kills baby killers. And it's okay, let's say 15-year-old mom, we had a 15, 14-year-old girl who was pregnant here in our community. Let's say, that we, oh, don't, don't abort, don't abort, don't abort. And she's, okay, I won't abort it. And then we see her struggling with the baby every day, walking to the bus stop, can't keep a job. She's stuck in this poverty cycle because, oh, you just need to get a real job. Get off of welfare. She can't get off of welfare because no one to watch the baby. Her mom needs to, no, no, no. Her mom is maybe a drug addict. Oh, they, they need it. No, ain't no they need to get their stuff together. That's our place to shine mm-hmm. as the body of Christ. So I, I, I've told several of my friends, I don't want to hear nothing else about abortion until y'all are ready to act. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. Because you know, all the, you know, it's just talk, 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 and it's turned into a political tool to gain your votes. And the church is largely, largely, largely pro-abortion. And I, I, on paper, they're, they're, they're anti-abortion. But what are you doing to prevent it? To prevent it. Vote, voting has, ha, is not and has not prevented it. Oh, we went against late-term abortion. Cut it out. It, it's like they thought you a poop sandwich and told you it was a spicy chicken sandwich from Burger King. Like, that's not something that was even, like, we want to get, uh, get, get rid of all abortion. I'm not going to be satisfied when they say we're just not going to allow People are celebrating that. They don't allow late-term abortions. They, do they allow early-term abortions? Yes. Okay, well, I'm not happy. Yeah. But if we really want that to stop, we can't depend on people who don't know Jesus, who most of our, our, most of our political leaders do not know Jesus and have no relationship with them, regardless of what they say. The fruit is there. I mean, the absence of fruit is, is obvious. We can't allow them to dictate what we do in the body of Christ and the way that we go about seeking justice. Because the way they seek justice is they lead with law. The way we seek justice is we lead with love. Jesus didn't come to the woman to the world and be like, hey, well, you, you did all this stuff wrong. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing that. No, he listened to these people. He shared life with them. And then he said, go and sin no more. So we lead with love. They lead with law. So we're, best, we're going opposite directions. Mm-hmm. And we can't adopt the way that they see things and expect a real change in people's hearts. You can change all these laws. We can make laws against racism. But the law is not the issue. The heart is the issue. 
And this is only changed by gospel presence in our society and discipleship. Deep, nasty, ugly discipleship. Well, in that neighborhood over there, have you considered packing your stuff up and moving to that neighborhood over there? Maybe it's so bad because the gospel hasn't gone out there. Mm -hmm. We talk about all these places, the 1040 window, where the gospel hasn't been heard and whatever. And I get that. They haven't heard of Jesus. But we have people right in the United States of America who have not ever, ever heard about the real Jesus. They've only heard about the little cute Jesus that wants to make people rich. Well, I'm poor and I have no chance. So he's not real to me. End of story. Or the Jesus that all he cares about is you putting on a suit and tie every Sunday and going to sit in the church for five hours on Sunday. That's not him either. That's not him either. And so there's a lot of people in our own communities who have never heard about, never had an encounter with the real Jesus, the all of Jesus. Not the the one Jesus for white people or just for black people, but the Jesus that cares for everyone. The Jesus that that makes us all equal in him and not just equal to one another, but equal to himself in him. He reconciles us and he calls us brothers. We're we're sons of God. A Jesus that died for our sins, a Jesus that we can belong to. And not just saying he died for a multitude of sins, but no, naming them out and and bringing the Jesus that brings value to people that were considered worthless. That Jesus, we don't, that's, that's who we're supposed to be. That's who we're supposed to be as believers. And we're not being that. We, we, We haven't been that. I don't, I mean, in my life, in, in American history at least, we have not been that. We haven't been that. And so, yeah, we need to, we, the gospel is just as much for Christians as it is for non-Christians. Yeah. We need to get back to, not, not get back to, we need to get to a full, a, a, living a full gospel lifestyle. Yes, we oppose abortion. Oh, absolutely, we hate it. But we actually hate it. We don't just say we hate it. Because if we actually hate it, that moves us to action. No, no, I'm going to do, I hate it so much, I'm going to stop it. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you don't like someone punching you in the face, then you at least move or you, you fight back. Mm. You don't just sit there and let them do it. If you hate your house and you hate where you live or you hate your, then you change it. Yeah. You move. We don't have an issue with this anywhere else. But we supposedly hate abortion. But all we do is keep checking the same box that we've been checking years and years. We get the majority, supposedly. And nothing changes. Nothing changes. At some point, we have to stop throwing responsibility on people who are non-believers and take responsibility for ourselves. What action are we taking? Not, all oh, my cousin. Want, no, no, no. You. You want to talk so much about abortion? What action are you taking? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, it's just sometimes the kids, they come with issues. Just like Jesus adopted, you came with issues. And God took you with all your issues and all your, all your hurts and all your pains and all your sins. And he took you and he cleaned you off and he called you his. And you continue to mess up, but he continues to lift you up, pick you up and be patient with you and pursue you even in the midst of all your nastiness and stupid. So how much more can we do that for kids with pre-existing issues or conditions that come with problems? There's no excuse. There's no excuse. If we love the gospel, we love, we, we love the idea of adoption, and we do hate abortion, but it doesn't stop a hate abortion. And if we hate abortion and we're pro-life, then that means that we go from, from womb to tomb. And it's not just for this little cute kid that's from here, or just adopting a little African kid or the Guatemalan kid. It's the kid next door as well. The kid next door that sags his pants and that doesn't, you know, you, he doesn't do things that agree with you, he gets in your nerves or whatever, that kid as well. We're either pro-life or we're not. You can't be pro-life just before it's born, then after it's every man for himself. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's what this supposed to become. I think it'll do us good as, as, as believers to do what, what God challenges us to do is to die to ourselves daily. Like if we were to go back to the drawing board and just 
just forget about our history as Christians, right? Um, our personal history and our our world history, and just look at the look at the gospel. And uh, I was reading in First John where it says, "If you see a brother in need and don't have pity on him and are not moved to action, then the love of God is not in you." Not in you. So we need to honestly ask ourselves that question. Can I see what's going on right now in this situation or this situation, not have compassion or pity on it? Ask ourselves, why not? And and if I am truly a lover of God and a lover of people, um, the answer should be, I have compassion immediately. The question shouldn't be, do I have compassion? No, if you love God, if you love people, you have compassion and you're moved to action because that's what the word of God says. And if we, we can't answer those with definite yeses, then we um, don't love God. I mean, it's very, it's that simple. Mm-hmm. Scripturally, it's that simple. Yeah. So where do we go from here as a church, as believers? Where do we go from here? Um, so this mean the church needs to be the, at the forefront of this situation. A hundred million percent. <laughs> mm just it has to be the one leading the way it has to be the one setting the example creating those spaces everything that you were saying earlier creating spaces where people can come and be themselves Mm. um we don't have to put on an act or fit to what we like um we need pastors who are willing to stand up there (laughs) and be offensive in what Mm -hmm. they preach because believe it or not the gospel is offensive it is if you're standing Mm -hmm. at the front and you're preaching the gospel and no one in your congregation is either, is leaving either challenged or uncomfortable mm-hmm. or they're offended by it, then you, you've preached it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like every single Sunday, someone should be going, oh, oh, yeah. oh, I felt mm-hmm. that. Whatever it is you're preaching on, whether you're preaching on race, whether you're preaching on lust, on pride, on, on anything, you, you, your congregation should be leaving, oh, oh, yeah. I felt that one. Oh, oh, I need to check myself on that. Oh, I need to pray about that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and us as congregations, we need to be sitting there going, I want to be challenged. I want to be confronted. Like, oh, no, he's talking about race. I'm just going to switch off. You know, I don't want <laughs> to hear about this one because, no, we need to be uncomfortable. We need to hear it. We need to deal with yeah. it. We need to acknowledge it. Um, the whole part of reconciliation, reconciliation doesn't happen until we acknowledge the past, the past mistakes that have been made. You know, we can't reconcile within one another if no one's talking about it, if no one's dealing with it. Um, and so churches... From that point of view, the pastors need to be standing up. Congregation needs to be standing up. And this is a global church. Mm. This is the global church. This is the church in the UK should have seen what happened in America and should have gone, okay, we need to address this as well. Mm-hmm. Because this isn't just an American thing. Mm-hmm. Like th- there is racism in the UK church. Oh, just, I just know it. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's there, whether you want to accept it or whether you've seen it or not, it's there. So the UK church needs to stand up and go, okay, we need to address this as well. The American church needs to stand up and go, okay, we need to address this as well. Mm-hmm. The Bolivian church Absolutely. that we lead here, we need to say, okay, there is injustice here. There is racism here. We need to address that. And we as the church needs to be the ones that are, are making those calls that are setting those standards because as you're saying like the world is going to do what the world's going to do mm-hmm. you know and we can't say oh but they're doing this they're doing that well yeah of course they are that's that what morals or values are they are they living mm. to compared to us yeah that we have the morals and values set to us by standard of, of jesus mm-hmm. and they're the ones that we need to be living to and, and they're the ones that we need to be showing and and dealing with and, and yeah getting down getting dirty being involved um mm. yeah just have to be on the front line yeah yeah, no, you're that absolutely right. God uh, speaks to uh, people in Isaiah. I read the scripture um, earlier today. 
It's a, it's a good plan of action. He says um, in Isaiah 1, 17, uh, 1, learn to do good, um, and which I, I am so happy to see a lot of our, our white brothers and sisters Absolutely. are looking. Yeah. They're buying books. They're reading blogs. They're asking questions. They're doing interviews. They're podcasts. What can we do? How can we learn to correct this wrong? And um, so that's that's one thing as a church we need to do is encourage everyone to just learn to do good. What does doing good look like in, in, in this specific situation? Yeah. And just do it. This is, this yeah. is simple, right? Seek justice and help the oppressed. It goes on to say defend the orphan, fight for the rights of the widows. But uh, I, I don't think, I could be wrong. I don't think that that is apart from help the oppressed, seek to do good and seek justice. I think yeah. those are just examples of yeah. how we can seek yeah. justice and, and help the oppressed. Yeah. But but it summarizes it and learn, seek justice, and help. And so it, it's, it's a combination of, uh, like you said, you have to acknowledge what's happened in the past. That is part of learning mm. and then acknowledge what's happening in the present because um, that's a big thing. We don't want to acknowledge it. We just mm. want to say that was in the past, leave it in the past. Yeah. Um, and then and then seek to, to work towards mm. towards correcting it. I mean, yeah. And all those things listed there, they require something of you. Like silence mm-hmm. is silence is no longer it's an answer. It's not there, yeah. You know, sit, sitting there and going, oh, you know, okay, look, we need to pray about that. Yes, we need to pray about it. 100% we need to pray about it. But we need to do something about it as well. We need to be involved in it, and we, you know, we need to be a church of action, a church of movement, uh, rather than just sitting in our churches and waiting. Wait, and like you were saying, this this isn't a thing that's just going to go away yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. You know, this is clearly, a thing. yeah. Uh, this is something that just needs to be addressed, in it, and there's action that needs to be taken to make this happen. Um, and silence isn't an option anymore. That's why, mm. as soon as I I said to you yesterday, oh, I think we should skip the podcast. As soon as I said that, it just didn't fit right. Yeah. Didn't fit right. I went back to my room and I was back to the apartment, you know, and I know when I've made a mistake because I try and justify it a million times Mm. (laughs) and I can't, I can't settle. You know, I spent the next, I don't know how long it was before I text you, but that that whole time, from the moment (laughs) I said to you, well, just at that doorway saying, you know, I think we can skip tomorrow's podcast. Um, Oh, Tuesday's podcast. The moment I said that to the moment I text you, all I ever did in that time was try and justify why we're not doing the podcast. Yeah. And if I'm spending all that time trying to convince myself that oh, this is why we shouldn't do it, maybe we should do it. Yeah. You know, maybe we should speak out because it is time to speak out. Yeah. It's time to stand up. It's time to speak out. Um, as you said, you know, uh, I can't remember anymore. My, my mind's gone. Um, but it's coming. Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. If, uh, if you don't speak to the injustices, then we won't see justice. Mm. Um, you know, and, and that's that's ex- and that's where I ended up in my mind. I was like, you know what? If if I don't speak up on this, then I'm not going to see justice for yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not just today. That's tomorrow. That's Wednesday. That's Thursday. Yeah. And that's for the rest of my life. If if I if I set this precedent precedent now, where I can be so moved by something, so touched by something, I spent four days listening and talking to you. Mm. If I can then just get to a point where, okay, but now I'll switch it off because I don't want to do that podcast. If that's the precedent I'm going to set in my life, then I'm never going to see justice in my lifetime. I'm never going to see change. I'm never going to see these things that I really want if I don't don't stand up every single day and say, no, we need to talk about this. No, we need to do this. Yeah. And I think what you you said is we need to see justice. And I think... um, you see, you'll never see justice. And I think that's the difference between a believer and a non-believer. A non-believer wants to see justice for me. 
a non-believer wants to see justice for everybody, mm-hmm. regardless of what my position is, regardless of uh, if I've seen justice. That's, that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is, is fine on his own. He doesn't need... He's the Trin- the, in the Trinity, they're, they're happy in community together. They're complete in one another. They're, you know, to, but he comes here to seek justice for us. And to, to, so, so that we can be reconciled back to him. And that's the only way, because if we really get justice for what we've done, then the wages of sin is death. And so he comes to, 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 to be just for justice to be served, and that's why he takes the death. So he takes the death from us, and that's the, that's the righteousness of God. Is, the price has to be paid for the sins of man. And so he comes and he lives and he does that so that it is a just, because this is where people get confused a lot of times, I think, with salvation and whatever. Well, it's unjust because we're sinners. No, the price has been paid. He doesn't just let us off. The price has been paid. And so he, it, is, it is just that we end up with him. And it is righteous that we end up with him because our price, our debt has been paid. It's been canceled and we can live with him just, uh, justifiably so. It's been justified. We, justifiably so we can um, live with him in righteousness forever because we've been made righteous through Jesus' sacrifice. And so Jesus came seeking our righteousness, not his righteousness. Jesus came or, or made, to make us righteous. He was already righteous. Jesus came seeking justice for us and to serve justice uh, for us and to pay the price of justice, of the right, righteousness, perfection, and justice of God that we owed so that we can be reconciled to him. So he came seeking the good of us, even if it meant to the detriment of his own, of his own prosperity, his own popularity, which it did. So when we seek justice, when we talk about justice, we're not just talking about my justice and me and what affects me. We're talking about justice of all people. If you, when you see Moses, Moses is fine. He has no issues. He's, he's rich. He's powerful, has influence. He's, and he, he's a lucky guy, more or less. I mean, obviously, we know he's blessed. But in his perspective, he's a lucky guy. He's a Jewish guy, but he belongs to, you know, Egyptian family. And, you know, he's royalty. Hmm. But he sees an injustice. He sees, you know, guys getting uh, abused. And he sees what's happening to his people. And he, can't, he decides, I cannot stand by and idly watch this anymore just because I'm comfortable. Just because I'm in a good place. It's unjust to them. And Moses sacrificed all he had. He sacrificed all that he had to seek to to fight against injustices of the people that were happening in the Mm -hmm. land. And God used that act, that simple act, to set a whole people free and to, you know. But you see that all the stories in the Bible are pretty much that. Mm -hmm. Old Testament is just that, you know, time and time again. And so that's who we're called to be. We're called to seek justice of of everyone, not just our own. And, um, yeah. Because a lot of times just seeking our own personal justice comes at the injustice of another. And that's not right either. You know, Um, I think one thing I want to say, too, is before we end is uh, one of my friends was preaching yesterday and he touched on a good point. Um, I, you know, I obviously have a lot of African-American friends and family, black friends and family. Um, You know, what I've experienced just through conversations over the few days is the past few days is um, I have a lot of black friends who are just giving up on white people. And, you know, I just want to encourage people to not fall into that trap. That's a trap. It's a trap from the enemy. It's a trap to get you to hate and be bitter and miserable for the rest of your life. Don't fall into it. Don't fall into that trap. And this is, again, that's why we have to be very careful of the amount of influence that we let all these public figures and all these quote-unquote Christians that are on TV. They're just saying what we want to hear. They're scratching our itching ears or whatever. We have to be very careful and really just seek what the word says. And, and what we continue to walk in love to our brothers. That doesn't mean we don't speak up against justice. It doesn't mean we seek comfort for them, but we seek peace. We seek long-term peace, not short-term comfort. And so, you know, don't give up on your brothers and sisters. And, and you know, if you sit back and you think that all white people aren't, that, you know, 
you know there are some, some people that care about you, that they love you, that they're intentionally trying to get it and understand this whole thing to be able to, so that we can together take steps forward towards the kingdom of God. Because you can dance and you can sing and all this in, in church and all we want, have our great services. But I mean, we read it in Amos 5 yesterday. In Amos 5, he talks about, I don't want none of that if you're not seeking justice and righteousness. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to accept your offerings. I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not listening. He says, I'm not going to listen to your worship songs and your praise, your praise and worship songs or whatever. If you're doing all that and you're ignoring injustices and not seeking righteousness in the community. And that's what he says. And so there, there are a lot of people that we know that, you know, that are seeking that don't get caught up in the, in the, to my black brothers and sisters specifically, don't get, and I have white brothers and sisters too that just want to give up on white people. Like just, no, don't, don't buy into that, to that it's white people versus black. This is, this is supposedly people versus injustice. Now I know everybody's not speaking up and some people are speaking up pro injustice, but we can confront that and we can do it, but don't give up on everybody because, because even if it's a majority, even a majority of people, you, we can't give up on brothers and sisters. We have to continue to pursue them with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not harass them, but continue to pursue them and, and, and take it to prayer. Take it to God. You know, we should be on our knees. We should pity people who are racist and, and pro and, just, you know, because they just, it's just a hopeless and a stupid and ignorant way of thinking. And the depths of racism knows no, you know, so on all these levels of racism, the people that, that are okay with that or that promote that, we, we should be praying for them as brothers. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to do because you want to cut them all off and never talk to them. And some people you may not ever talk to again. And that, you know, comes to your own, for your own uh, sanity or whatever that, that, that needs to happen sometimes. But we can't give up on the white race or our white brothers or just completely separate ourselves and exclude our white brothers from anything just because... Um, because it's, a hard, it's been a hard time for us historically in America for 400 years or whatever. But we are called to be uh, lights in darkness. And we are called to be reflections of Jesus in everything that we do. And so that does look like forgiveness. Not stupidity, but forgiveness. And it does look like constantly calling it out, having long conversations and sometimes debates with our white brothers and sisters. But being patient and committing to them as, as brothers and sisters in Christ was a very, very hard thing to do. Very hard thing to do. But that's what, we're, that's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to be. But my white brothers and sisters, you, you got, come on, take the shades off. You know that racism exists. And I think it's time to stop saying you don't know what to do. Because like, like you were saying earlier, you can do something. And you, you got black friends. You got black neighbors. Well, you can ask them. Ask them what do you do. How do you do it? Go spend time with them. Like, there's all kinds of solutions. The difference is, is we're not trying. This has this is, this got to stop. It, 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 and, you know, maybe we can't stop it in the world, but in the church, this type of this type of thinking has has to stop. We can't continue in a church with two sides and the black people and the white people. And we can have culturally different churches. Right. Because, you know, everybody has cultural preferences and whatever of styles and whatever. Um, but to segregate a church because of color is not OK. It's not OK. We can have different styles of worship again, but it's to, to separate all this. The white church is the black church and whatever. And to 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 really and, and be very conscious of how we do in church and what our culture is and are we trying to convince people to vote like us and think like us and make us comfortable or are we here to listen and learn from them and grow with them as well as they learn and grow from us as a body of believers that's a, that's, that's a tough question to ask ourselves especially when we're in majority white churches but it's a very necessary to reflect the kingdom of God properly that's a question we need to ask ourselves do I trust this black person I've known for 20 years or do I trust Candace Owens more who I have no idea who it is she's not a believer at all 
All she does is spits hate and rumors and false things and bears false witness all the time. But I believe her because it lines up with what I think. Or yeah. do I believe my brother in Christ, who I know is a believer, I know loves Jesus, or whatever. At that point, it's, you should be really identify what your itching ears are, you know. Mm-hmm. So. <sighs> I thought it was a good point what Simon brought up. Like, he paid attention to why he was trying to justify something. Why he was trying to justify not doing something. So, that's a good... Uh, <laughs> good um meter for all of us to measure whether we should or shouldn't like yeah. are we trying to justify what are we trying to justify and why yeah that's good yeah um yeah no thank you guys for being willing to talk about this, this is the public you know we put our podcast obviously millions of people don't, don't listen to our <laughs> podcast but it's out there for, to be accessible and i mean you're putting yourselves at exposing yourselves as well for a cause that you could easily say isn't mine has nothing to do with you know me and uh so I don't know, I appreciate it. This is the body of Christ. This is what it looks like. It's uncomfortable um, sometimes to talk about this stuff or whatever. Even for me, sometimes it's uncomfortable, you know. But at the same time, like, mm, it's not about comfort. It's not about comfort. It's about his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is we, we have our kingdoms. He has his kingdom. We live in this kingdom. We see this kingdom. We take steps by what happens in this kingdom. So it's very uncomfortable to switch from, to constantly have to be curbed. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Not focused on this kingdom. We're focused on his kingdom. And so it's definitely an uncomfortable thing of being conformed and transformed, you know, um, to, to his image and, and, or to his likeness even. We, we're in his image, but to be transformed to the likeness of Jesus is, is what he did for us on the cross. And so it, it's a very tough thing and hard thing to do. And so I appreciate you guys being here and willing to, uh, to speak up and to share opinions and just really uh, be prophetic voices in, in calling the church to repentance as a whole. And, um, and le- hopefully leading the charge in that as well. We can take steps forward together together not we're going to help Ramon take steps forward no we're all going to take steps forward together and and just continue this attitude towards any injustices that take place in the church you know and so that's all I got good yeah all right well thank you for listening thank you for listening you guys did good without you know like you know focusing on the camera man good job Melinda didn't look once you forgot it was on didn't you ha that's how it's supposed to be thank you for listening we really appreciate you um we're in this together. We are a family in Christ, and let's start acting like one. We love you. Thanks for listening. Um, have a great week. Provecho. <laughs>